Uh, Ephesians really is one of my favorite books of the New Testament. It's such a powerful, rich book written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, a place where he visited on one of his mission trips and promised that he would come back, and he did, and he spent about three years in Ephesus, which was the longest period of time that Paul spent in any one of the towns establishing the church. That he has a deep fondness for the Christians there in Ephesus is evident in his greeting in the opening chapter of chap, uh, uh, in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Isn't that a tender expression of Paul's deep affection for the Christians there? One of the most touching scenes that we have in the New Testament is when Paul is making his way toward Rome, and he's, he's close to Ephesus. He's not in the city, but he calls for the elders of the church to meet him in this community, and, and he meets them there, and they spend some time together, and the Bible says that they wept together, they embraced, and they prayed together because they knew they would never see one another face to face again in this life. Paul goes on from there, ends up in prison and Rome. The elders go back to lead the church. And it is from that Roman prison that Paul writes this powerful letter we call Ephesians. I wish this morning we had time to just go through all of it. We, we don't. But, but can I give you just a glimpse into the power of the chapters uh, that are here? Chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Ephesians chapter 2, one of the most beautiful passages on grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Earlier in the service, Tim led, led us through that marvelous, beautiful prayer uh, in the third chapter. But, but I want to read the concluding verses of that prayer, verse 20 and following. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 4 on unity. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bounds uh, the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Chapter 5 begins with these words, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, I'm telling you, the whole book of Ephesians this morning would great, make for a great series. Each one of those passages would make a great text for a whole sermon. We don't have time to explore the depth of it this morning, but I want to preach to you this morning from one of my favorite passages in Ephesians, and it is in chapter 6. This has long been a favorite of mine. As a matter of fact, here's some trivia for you. Uh, I preached from Ephesians chapter 6 for, for my very first sermon. I was still in high school, preached on a Sunday night. Uh, I didn't write down the date. Wish I knew the, the date. Uh, it was sometime in 1972, but I do have a copy of the notes that I used that night. I saved those notes, and, uh, and some of you are thinking right now, 
boy, I wish he would use those notes. Those look short. <laughs> they were. It took me about eight minutes, I think, to, uh, to preach that sermon. This passage is a vital passage because Paul reminds us that there is a daily battle for the control of our souls, a battle that we will not win on our own, folks. And, and Paul in this passage encourages us to know what forces are at work against us, and he encourages us to know what resources are available to us. And, and, and we dare not, we dare not waste these divine assets with frivolous skirmishes in a mundane life. We're, we're in a battle. This is war, and there's nothing glorious about war. Eternity hangs in the balance of the outcome of the battle. This is serious business. And so in chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, this is what Paul writes to the church. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Here are some truths that jump off the pages of this text. The first one is simply this, know the source of your strength. Paul begins, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, when we see the word finally, and I think Paul may have been using it here a little bit in this context, we usually think of, okay, he's concluding. And he is, he's getting near the end of his letter, but I don't think that's really how he's using the word finally. It also means, in the remaining time I have left. And I believe that Paul is writing here to remind us, in the remaining time that you have left in this world, be strong in the Lord. The only way you're going to be able to survive in the remaining time you have left is if God strengthens you to do so. And I want you to know that our time is short. We have no guarantee for tomorrow. In the last five weeks, this congregation has lost seven people of all different ages. It was a, it's been a graphic reminder that life holds no guarantees. The battle is fierce, and, and we need the strength we find in Jesus Christ. And the longer I live, the more I realize how weak I am. I suspect you do too. What, when Paul writes, be strong, it's the same word that he uses in Philippians in that passage that we all love, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or who makes me strong. Now, I want you to know that his power is superior to all other powers. Sometimes people say, well, why did Jesus do the miracles? I, I think this is the reason. I think he did the miracles to demonstrate that there is no power in this world, in this universe for that matter, that we are confronted with that is greater than he is. The, the miracles were not in and of themselves for the people because he didn't feed everybody. He didn't heal everybody. He didn't cast out every demon. He didn't raise up every dead person. They were selective moments in time to demonstrate his authority and power. When he calmed the storm, it was to demonstrate his power over the forces of nature. When he fed the multitudes, it was to demonstrate his power over human need. When he healed the blind, the deaf, the lame, and the leprous, it was to demonstrate his power over disease. When he cast out demons, he demonstrated his power over the dark side. 
When he raised the dead, including his own resurrection, he demonstrated his power over our greatest enemy, death itself. And the point is this. If Jesus can do all of these things, there is no power in all the world that can defeat him. And here's the other truth. If you are in him and he is in you, then there is nothing in this world that can ultimately defeat you. Doesn't mean there won't be skirmishes and battles. Doesn't mean we're going to win every battle. It just means that ultimately we will be victorious in him. So when he promises strength, he can deliver. Yesterday, our granddaughter Addie was jumping from the stool into my arms at home, but she would only let me get six inches away from her before she would jump. Now, I knew I could have caught her if I had been two or three feet away. I had done that for years with her mother, Rebecca, and her aunt, Emily. I mean, but she had never seen me do it that way. And so her confidence isn't there. She doesn't know I'm capable of doing it. And isn't that the way we treat God? You know, God knows that he can, he can deliver the strength at any point in time. It's just that we're not confident in God, and so we keep him close by for fear because we don't have the trust in him. If Addie could see pictures of me catching Rebecca jumping off the stairs three and four or five steps up, it may have given her the courage to step back a little farther. That's why Jesus did all the miracles, to, to confirm in our hearts, to affirm in our minds, he is the one who is our strength. Well, here's another thing that jumps off the page. Know the source of your problems. Yes, know where your strength comes from, but know the source of your problems. Coach Andy Backus and the Yorktown, Virginia High School rowing team returned from spring training in South Carolina, and when he went to unpack his suitcase, he reached in and got what he described as an electrical shock. Now, it wasn't a brown extension cord, but a foot-long brown cane, cane brake rattlesnake that had just bit him. Yeah, that's, that's how I would feel too. That's, Talk about the unexpected and the surprising. Wow. Now, fortunately for Andy, it wasn't a full-grown snake with the, the packs, the, the real wallop. It was still a, a young snake, but he still spent a night in the hospital due to this uninvited hitchhiker. I'm here to tell you this morning that Andy Backus isn't the only guy with snake problems. We've been dealing with an old snake in the grass since the very beginning of time, and let me tell you, he will do his hardest work to poison your life. His bite is painful. His bite is dangerous. And he wants nothing more than to destroy your relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul wrote. He said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. You see, Paul says, you're not, your battle isn't against other human beings. That's not the enemy. If it were, he would have said, strengthen your physical bodies. But it's not a physical fight. This is a spiritual fight. That's why he says, prepare your minds, your wills, and your spirits. Our fight against Satan is as fearful to our spiritual survival as biological welfare it, warfare is to our physical survival. What is it that makes anthrax or something like that so insidious? It's that you can't see it, smell it, feel it, hear it, or even be aware of it until it's too late. And a little of it does so much damage. Satan works with similar stealth. Just when you think you've mastered your weakness, 
This one who comes along that you can't see or hear or feel or smell drops this bomb of temptation in your path and your resistance blows up in your face and you fall defeated at the feet of temptation and sin. This is dangerous business that we're dealing with. Don't you wish temptation acted like opportunity? Opportunity knocks once, but temptation just keeps beating on the door all the time. Famous preacher Dwight L. Moody once said, I believe Satan to exist for two reasons. First, the Bible says so, and second, I've done business with him. (laughs) Haven't we all? You just remember, though, that when you sign a business agreement with him, you're siding with the enemy. We do have this grand promise in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So, when you stumble and fall, don't forget the one who's in you is still greater than the one in this world. Third thing that jumps off the page is know the source of your protection. Now, look at verses 14 through 18. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. The Under Armour brand is big stuff today. I mean, it is a popular brand of clothing. Although, when our U.S. speed skating team didn't fare so well in the Olympics, many of them wanted to blame the skating suits that Under Armour Company had given them. Now, when they changed the suits, it didn't change the outcome. So perhaps it was underperformance rather than Under Armour that made the difference. You see, we're always looking for someone or something to blame for our own failures and defeats. Paul doesn't write about under armor. He writes about outer armor, and it's good stuff too. And when you and I fail to resist temptation, let's not blame the suit that God's provided because if we wear it right and use it right, we'll we'll gain the victory. Vienna, Austria is home to a really unique museum. This part of the museum is devoted to body armor. Uh, Now, a few years ago, when when I had the opportunity to teach at TCM International on a day off, Elsie and I went to this museum, and I was just absolutely fascinated by all the different shapes, sizes, and kinds of ancient armor that used to be worn. I guess I thought you just went down to the armor store and said, I need a size 36 with a 16-inch collar, and you got a suit of armor. No, every suit of armor was tailored to fit a particular person. Even wealthy people were able to buy suits of armor that stood about this size for their young boys. Think how quickly they would outgrow that and how much uh, maybe wasted money there would be in something like that. But it was a specific tailored piece, which made this passage come alive for me because As there is a similar tailoring to body armor, so there is a similar tailoring by God to this armor that he has given us. It is designed to enhance your abilities and protect your weaknesses. So how do we fight against a deceitful, cunning enemy that we cannot see? Paul says, protect yourself with God's armor. He says, protect yourself with the truth. The truth. 
Work hard to discover the truth. Uh, truth is not created, folks. Truth is discovered. And, and when you begin to live the truth, that, that's, that's honesty. So learn the truth, live the truth, live an honest, genuine, sincere life. Someone said the best measure of a man's honesty isn't in his income tax return. It's the zero adjustment button on his bathroom scales. You know, when you can't even adjust the scales to tell you the truth, uh, there's something wrong. When you're honest, when you live the truth, it will help you defeat temptation. Paul says make the right choices, do the right things. That's righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness guards and protects the heart. When you do the right thing, it's hard to be doing the wrong thing at the same time. Strive for peace. You know, walk in the gospel of peace. In over 3,100 years of recorded world history, the world has only been at peace 8% of the time, or a total of 286 years. Over 8,000 treaties have been made and broken, and there have been over 14,500 wars, large and small, during that time. The peace that God offers us is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of Christ. When everything else is crumbling around you, you can still be at peace if Christ is the focus of your life. Faith's shield and hope's helmet is your trust of God. Trusting God's presence now is how we live. Having hope in God's promise is how we face tomorrow. That's trust today. That's hope for the future. And both of those are the same side, uh, are the two sides of the same coin. You see, if you don't have trust in God, it's, it's going to be hard for you to have hope for the future. So both of those go hand in hand. Actress Shirley MacLaine relates that her conversion to New Age mysticism took place on a mountaintop overlooking Malibu, California. She stood up there, disrobed, stretched out her arms, and said, I am God. In her book, Out on a Limb, which I think should be re uh, re retitled Way Out on a Limb, <laughs> she wrote, we all can be gods if we just realize it. We can all be gods if we just realize it. To believe that is to wave the white flag and surrender the battle. There is but one God who has the power over all of the forces that we've seen that can get us through. Our trust and our hope in Him is substantiated by who He is and what He did. If we are God, if I can be God, we're all in a world of hurt. And most of, the, most of the, uh, the armor that we've looked at at this point in time is defensive armor. But God also includes a couple pieces of weaponry. And he says, arm yourself with the Word of God and prayer. The sword of the Spirit, God's Word, and prayer is the power behind it. When Jesus was tempted in his wilderness pilgrimage of prayer and fasting, and I'm telling you, Satan threw out before him some temptations that were dandies. Jesus began every response to the temptation of Satan with the words, it is written, and then he would quote Scripture. Now, one of the reasons we're going through this series of taking each of the books of the Bible and going through it is because I need to be reminded, and I want you to know what's in God's Word, because 
really our only defense, our, our only weapon to fight against the temptations and the problems of this is, is a knowledge of God's Word. Not always do I want to fight temptation. Anybody else feel the same way? Sometimes I just want to lay down my sword, drop my shield, and, and surrender because the temptation seems too good. Always regret that. I suspect you do too. I mean, when we, when we sin, it's a defeat, and there's nothing that feels good about defeat. But the only way I've learned that I can defeat temptation is with these two things. If when I'm being tempted, if I will quote Scripture, and if I will pause to pray, and I don't always get that done, but if I will do those two things, I will invite God into the situation, and it's a whole lot more difficult to yield to a temptation when you've invited God into the circumstances and the situation, and you realize that He is there in the very midst of it. Paul knew what he was talking about. He said, in this battle, you arm yourself with the Word of God and with prayer that is our only weapon of defense. And did you notice that twice Paul said, put on the full armor of God? This is not, this is not you know, pick and choose. This is not a smorgasbord. This is not to be partially armed or the armor that we like or what we think is fashionable at the time. You know, I know a lot of people say, I'd like to be saved. I just don't want to believe God's Word. I don't want to follow Jesus Christ, but I really like the idea of salvation. It, it doesn't work that way. It's the full armor or it's none at all because it's not effective. You can't go into battle with just a helmet on and expect to come out victorious. It's all or nothing. And Paul does not describe a gladiator here. He describes a Roman foot soldier. Do you know why? Because a gladiator fights alone. The, the power of the Roman foot soldier in that day and time, when Paul is writing, was the fact that there were hundreds and thousands of them, and they were lined up shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, and they were a formidable force as they went into battle. Why do you think God gave us the church? Why do you think Paul writes about a foot soldier? It's because together we go into battle. And I need you. Without you, I feel alone, and I'm much more vulnerable when I'm alone. You need everybody else here too. The, the church can be a formidable force if we'll just come together to help each other. Last thing, you got to know the odds of your victory. We know the source of our victory, that's, that's our power in Christ. But what are, the, what are the real odds that we're going to come out victorious? Well, the answer is it all depends on where you stand. Paul wrote, he said, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, you'll still be standing. Do you realize, folks, that... Um, that all the religions of the world are, are, are basically built on one of two foundations of thought. One is objective, there is knowable truth. The other is subjective, nobody can know the truth. The truth is what the truth is for me. One points outward to the living God. One points inward as if I'm God for my own life. One claims an afterlife through the resurrection of the body. One claims a life here after reincarnation. One is about you paying the price of your sins through penance and obedience. One is about trusting God who paid the price of your sins with his own sacrifice. One is all about works. One is all about grace. 
All of the religions of the world are built on one of those two. Only, only Christianity is built on grace. I know which foundation I want to stand on. Do you? One of my favorite cartoons has long been the ongoing battle between the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. You know the cartoon, don't you? Wiley Coyote has purchased everything that the Acme Company has to offer in an attempt to defeat this bird so he can have him for dinner. I mean, I've been watching it for years. You watch the reruns, he never wins. He never gets the Roadrunner. Do any of you feel just a, a smidgen of sympathy for the, for the coyote? Do you ever kind of wish, just once, I wish he'd catch the Roadrunner? They taste like chicken, I'm told. <laughs> never does. Never will. You, you know how I know that? Because the Roadrunner has an agreement with the scriptwriter. Wiley Coyote will never catch the bird. It's, it's written in the script that way. Can I tell you this morning that you and I have an agreement with the divine scriptwriter? Satan will not win. He will throw his entire arsenal of acme temptations into our path but he will not win. We may lose a few skirmishes along the way, but he will not win because God has already written the chapters and the ending of the story. And in him, we will share the victory. So, you can either fight alone this morning or you can stand with him who will fight for you. I suggest you stand firm in Christ.